Either I found you or you found me. This is the Island Lifer podcast. I'm your host, Stronzo, with my trusty companion, Chatty Caddy. Wind is humming outside, blowing, but it's a beautiful day on the island of Calabria in the beautiful Caribbean. Thanks for joining me today. Episode 7, Stronzo's Odyssey. A journey of uh, being adopted and then finding my biological parents. So, to stay with me. You know, uh, some, you know the, the island life is definitely about living on the island, but part of it is uh, for me and my cathartic experience and sharing some of my stories. So, today, if you can bear with me for a little bit of backstory, um, hopefully I'll make it worth your time. I always knew I was adopted. I really did. Um, uh, ever since I was uh, very young, my my parents made me aware of it, um, but I felt completely loved um, by my parents. Although um, from an early age, I would equate it that they bought a stereo system that they didn't get the instruction manual. They knew how to turn it on and off and speakers A and B and adjust some of the knobs, but there was a lot of things that fundamentally they just did not understand about the stereo that they brought home. You know, and I was a Tasmanian devil. I think I spoke in the last episode of all my challenges, whether my I had learning disabilities. I was extremely violent really early on. I was fighting. I think I was started fighting kids in s- kindergarten, first grade. Um, and I'm when I say fighting, I mean I had like arch rivals by third grade, Gunner and <laughs> an arch rival named Gunner. I remember throwing him into a guinea pig cage. <laughs> I mean, it was, I was a violent child. I was uh, out of control. I had a warrior ethos. I, um, I was just angry. I was really angry, and I didn't know what was making me angry. And it took a long time to <clears throat> start figuring that out. Um, and that is part of my, my journey of adoption. Um, I had a wonderful childhood. My parents loved me. I uh, was adopted into a middle-class family. I grew up in Connecticut. I had unbelievable amount of opportunities. My sister is also adopted. Um, Unlike me, though, my sister really um, just kind of um, her temperament and her character and her interests really fell more into line of what my parents were about. Um, And... My parents did. They they brought home a Marine. They brought home a, a baby that was already programmed to be a Marine. And uh, I'll talk about that because it's one of the most interesting parts of the story, I think, in a lot of ways. So, you know, I, uh, I had a lot of challenges, like I said, growing up, but I had a ton of opportunities. I went to a wonderful private school. Um, but during my year, my high school years, <clears throat> This issue of becoming adoptive, uh, adopted really turned into an outlet for all of my teenage angst, which was, well, if, if I had other parents or if I had another family or um, I needed to find my biological mother, I had this desire to have this connection. And the most interesting thing is I went to where I went to school was about 35 minutes from where I, I lived in Connecticut, and we'd commute out there every day back and forth. It wasn't a boarding school. And a few doors down from where I went to school was a place that was a family uh, services and adoption center. And oddly enough, that was where I stayed, and then I was placed out of that facility. So here I am having all these issues, and I'm only just, you know, 500 yards down from where I began my journey. 
Um, so as soon as I could, in, in the state of Connecticut back then, they didn't have a lot of open laws to find your parents, but I was able to register. They did a bit of a, uh, a psychological check to make sure I, you know, this is once I turned 16. And I was able to get non-identifying characteristics. And there was a ton of information about my, my mom, but my father's page literally had no information on it at all. Nothing. Um, the only th the connection that I had to uh, my biological mother that just made sense out of all that information was we were both allergic to wool. <laughs> and that somehow made me feel connected to her. Um, so, you know, I'm in high school. I'm thinking that my mother is some type of Raquel Welsh or some kind of glamorous superstar and that, you know, whatever it might be. And I create this fantasy about who she is in my head. Not so much my father as much at that time. But then in my, uh, as the years progressed and I got older, um, I took on this whole, like I said, this Marine persona. I started wearing um, like Vietnam. Uh, I, I swear to God, if I, if, if I was in high school again, I would, you know, I don't think they'd let me walk on campus. I was in military garb. Um, we had a dress code for years, but I was able to kind of work through that and wear a tie with things and whatever. I figured it out. But I had a very kind of paramilitary thing about me already. Um, and having tons of issues in school. Um, my father was on the board of trustees one year, I swear to God. He just—he was the only reason why I was even kept in that school for a little while. <coughs> it was awful. But so I made the decision, here I am in school, that I was going to join the Marine Corps. And I started telling, and that was probably uh, during my sophomore year. And, you know, I was did great at sports. I played uh, ice hockey goalie. I was a varsity uh, goalie. I played soccer. I played lacrosse. I did, uh, you know, academically, I was a catastrophe. I think we only had 42 kids in my graduating senior class, and I was, you know, number 42. You know, I was, I was a mess. Um, so uh, I, I made the decision that I was going to join the Marine Corps, and um, my parents were horrified. Um, I think my mom knew it was coming, but the day that I told her that I signed up, she looked at me like I had just shot John Lennon in the back outside the Dakota. She was just horrified. You know, my parents are, you know, absolute uh, peace-loving people. I've never seen them do, uh, I've never, honestly, I've never heard them raise their voices to each other. I've never heard them in a fight. Um, they, they just love each other. I, I'm not saying they haven't had fights in the past. I'm sure they have, but the way that they chose to conduct themselves in their relationships was... You know, I don't, I don't think it happens with most people. And I think that was tough, too, kind of being um, in an environment where these, the, that I was with two people that were so perfectly matched that all of the rest of my relationships seemed like failures because I wasn't able to, um, in my mind, have the type of relationship that my parents had. And what I realized later on is theirs is, theirs is an extraordinary love and a wonderful partnership and you know, people people yell at each other. People get angry. You know, I'm, we're all we're all human. But that was tough for me, and so I never really felt um, the way that my behaviors worked inside that family. I always felt like the black sheep. Um, and uh, early on, I got I was labeled. Um, I think I mentioned last episode. I went to see a child child psychologist, and I was labeled really early on as a chronic underachiever, and that was tough. I mean. What I didn't realize was they were also saying that I was super intelligent and I was a smart guy, but I wasn't achieving my potential. But I think I found those test results in my mom's desk drawer, and it was just, look, I'm talking about it now, right? So, so I made this decision to join the Marine Corps, and I started telling this lie to everyone that my biological father was a Marine veteran, that he did two tours in Vietnam, 
my parents are so horrified when I'm talking, you know, I was in therapy that I'd be talking to my therapist and my therapist is like, you know, this lie is unhealthy. And I'm like, well, it doesn't matter. You know, my father was in Vietnam and uh, he was a war hero. <laughs> That's what I would tell everyone with no job, like absolutely nothing to base that on whatsoever. So I ended up joining the Marine Corps and I did five and a half years in the Marine Corps, had a wonderful Marine Corps career, loved the Corps. Uh, I'm not one of those guys that's, you know, wearing a hat and a T-shirt that says U.S. Marines on it. And it's cool. Those guys are fine. Um, and, I mean, I have a sticker on my truck that says USMC. I actually have a full sleeve of tattoo and I um, that I got when I was in Thailand. And uh, I'd always wanted a sleeve of tattoo. I, you know, I'd worked in a lot of different industries. That it just was not possible, you know, to have those types of tattoos. I actually at one had one point uh, had to have my USMC tattoo uh you know covered over and um <clears throat> it was a big deal to cover up uh my my badge I love the corps and I love what the marines did they paid for my uh my university degree um they took really good care of me and uh, I still speak to one of my brothers uh, Brian Bartley uh, my marine brother died yesterday of cancer god rest his soul wonderful man lots of kids young guy um but we were all talking about that I love that brotherhood. So I fit in the Marine Corps. I got it. I really loved it. <clears throat> um, but, you know, as the years passed and I got out of the Marine Corps and I was working on, on other industries, um, I kind of let this other part of pursuing um, trying to find my biological parents uh, go on the side. Because I had written letters to the Social Security Department and they had apparently tried to forward them on to my biological mother. And uh, I had no results. Then years passed, and uh, I was residing up in uh, up in Canada, up in Toronto, and um, I get this out of the blue from Louise Leavenworth, who, by the way, was my caseworker like throughout high school and all these years um, when I was trying to find my biological mother, um, and she was actually the same woman that had placed me with my parents all those years before. I mean, it was unbelievable. Um, so she was still around, and she remembered me when I was a baby. It was, and I when I when I went to go fill out paperwork, I'm back over in Child and Family Services. It was amazing. So I had a great career in the Marine Corps, and um, and I'm living up in Canada, and I'm starting to have health issues, and I really started. Uh, I, I I wanted to find out uh, whether there was anything I could be doing, and I also still had this, you know, kind of this open thing that had never finished in my life, and I wanted to come full circle. I, so I ended up getting a letter from Louise, and uh, my biological mother had reached out. <coughs> and oddly enough, she uh, was living in Connecticut, and uh, she was living in a part of Connecticut that I ended up finding out later that I had been driving by her home all those years when I uh, she lived out in Kent, Connecticut. And so uh, my, pr my prep school played this, uh, Kent is a, a prep school, out in Kent, Connecticut. So we'd play against Kent, and her home was right out outside of where the entrance to that private school was, and I used to drive by her home all the time on the way to these games. I mean, just, it was a mind blower. So a few years passed, you know, we sent some letters back and forth, and um, I went out, uh, I was living in New York City in Manhattan at the time, and uh, I went up with my girlfriend at the time to meet her. And it was an intense experience. It was an intense experience. Um, not what I expected. Um, not really the person that I expected. Um, 
and uh, I guess that was what the problem was, is that maybe I went in with some expectations. And she was extremely fearful. Um, I have a half-sister um, that up until that day, she hadn't even told uh, my half-sister that I existed. And I had this understanding that we were gonna, I was going to meet my half-sister that day, and then to find out that she hadn't followed through on that. And she was a really complicated person. She had a really challenging life. She was not a happy person. Um, as far as I, my interactions with her, I'm maybe my half-sister and people who knew her other than the way that I knew her. Um, and I'm not claiming to know her that well. But it was strange because immediately upon meeting her, I just had this, uh, you know, this sense of gratitude and knowing like, oh my God, like I was very fortunate to be adopted. I was very fortunate to be adopted into this family um, that loved me and honored me and allowed me to be who I, uh, I am unconditionally because my parents have always shown me unconditional love throughout my life. Um, so we spent a few hours with her and, and quite honestly, I, I realized that she did not want to tell me who my biological father was. She hadn't told my half-sister. In fact, she took the secret of who my half-sister's father was um, to her death. Um, and she died, I think, five years ago on Mother's Day. I found out on Facebook. That's actually a true story. Um, and she had died alone in Florida under really sad circumstances. And, um, and it... it it, uh, and I wasn't in contact with her at the time. I, I, uh, we had fallen out of contact almost immediately after I had uh, first met her. Um, and that's one of the other things, too, about, you know, an adoptive person's story is that, you know, you don't, you know, you have your nuclear family of when you're adopted, and then suddenly there's all these other branches that are growing on a tree. And for me, it was really overwhelming trying to start managing these other relationships. And I didn't real I didn't know that... Um, even though I had had time to deal with it and put things in, in, into place, um, other people hadn't had that, that chance yet. Um, so she didn't want to tell me my biological father's name, and I basically um, said to her, I'm not leaving here until you tell me. So, um, and it was that intense. And um, finally she said, well, you know, your birth name was Gordon Michael Pearson, and your father's name was Michael and uh this is his last name and um i um and this is where the story just really just is unreal to me is unreal in this one moment and she said i met him at the paris island rod and gun club at the u.s marine corps boot camp at paris island down in where they have boot camp that he was home from vietnam on leave that he had sprained his knee playing football and he was uh, just recouping down on Paris Island before he was supposed to go back to Vietnam. My mind was blown. Part of me knew it because I had that salmon going upstream, that warrior ethos, you know. I, I had every opportunity to be in the arts and theater and all the things that my parents presented and all I wanted to do was be in the Marine Corps. And this is where, you know, um, I don't know whether you've heard uh, some of the studies regarding epigenetics. Epigenetics literally is above DNA. And what we're finding is there's just what we're, like I'm participating, what they're finding is um, that there's just so much more programming inside of our DNA that's like this information, whether it's 
movies, whether it's memory, whatever it is, it's in there. And so um, to find out that my father had been in Viet Vietnam, he was a decorated uh, Marine, everything just fell into place for me right then. I mean, it was, I started crying. Uh, it was unbelievable. It was, it was, it made me feel so validated in everything else that I've been told in the rest of my life and in this kind of pursuit that I didn't understand. You know, I last episode, I talked about the pursuit of passions. And I didn't get it. And I didn't understand what was happening, why I had to be a Marine and why it was that and why I had this warrior ethos. Um, and it all just made sense right then. And uh, then, uh, you know, we said our goodbyes and uh Years passed, and I'd moved up to Toronto, and I'm living in Toronto, and um, uh, I ended up uh, saying I, 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 I was able to find, I forgot how I found some information. Oh, I was working, and I asked some friends to go dig around, and they, they, they dug around, and they, um, they came back, and they said, okay, uh, we think he's in this area. This is where, this is where he might be in North Carolina. And so in that area, I, I had all these, I had um, these advertisements made and I put them in the American Legion halls and the Veterans of Foreign War place and the VFW halls. And it just said, looking for Michael, uh, was in Vietnam, was in this unit on these dates. And that was it. And about, I don't know, a week later, I'm cooking dinner and my phone rings and um, I answer it. And it's this man with a deep southern drawl, like a deep southern drawl. Like, I thought I was talking to Charlie Daniels. And he said, never mind, never mind, my name's Michael. Uh, somebody, uh, here's someone looking for me. And I know that's bad. Uh, people down, if anyone in North Carolina listens to that, they're going to be like, that's not how Michael spoke. <clears throat> but I could barely understand what he was saying. And then I realized, I was like, oh, this is somebody, you know, calling about the poster down in North Carolina. I said, yeah, I said, my name's, uh, my name's, uh, uh, <laughs> my name's Christopher, and, um, I'm, uh, I'm looking for Michael, and, uh, and he's like, I'm not going to do the, dr the, the accent the whole way through, he said, he said, uh, yeah, he said, I'm, uh, I'm Michael, I said, well, Michael, I said, uh, were you in Vietnam? He said, yeah. I said, were you uh, down at Paris Island in 66, 67? He goes, he goes, yeah. He goes, I th he goes, are you one of my uh, friend's war buddies or a son? And I said, well, no. I said, I'm your son. <laughs> He's like, and this is the crazy part. He didn't even miss a beat, this man. He's like, well, that's just great. And he just started keeping on, kept on talking about stuff. And we spoke for like an hour that very first time and uh it was amazing it was amazing um to get to know him uh to find out that he loved fishing uh that he loved metal detecting <laughs> that he loved all these things that i love to do and that uh you know to find out that we were so similar in so many ways and um it was sad uh he passed away i think it's two years ago now uh maybe three years ago, um, he died of lung cancer. And I spoke to him days before he died, and we had fallen out of touch again. It was one of those, how many branches on the tree do you have? And uh, I have a number of half-brothers and half-sisters from, from, from Michael, and 
I often feel badly that I don't stay in touch with them the way that I should, um, the way that I should. I mean, I, I, the way that I can, I mean, but, uh, listen, uh, I have to say that when I, when I look back at, um, the purpose of that and finding myself and having these validations about who we are um, and the nature and the nurture of it and um, my journey in finding both of them um, and realizing the gift that my biological, uh, that my adoptive parents gave to me just by adopting me, just by adopting me. Um, I tell a joke on stage. I said, I say, uh, my biological mother put me up for adoption. She, uh, went into McDonald's and left me in a to-go bag and ran off and said they fucked up her order. And I'm so, because that's really kind of seemed how it was to me. And, you know, I've dealt with these adoption issues my whole life, uh, especially with abandonment issues, with women, um, feelings of unworthiness, things that I didn't really realize. And it wasn't until later on in life that I was able to resolve this adoption thing, have gratitude for all of the things that had happened in my life, and was allowed to put all of this into place. And I'm, and I'm so happy that it came full circle, that I was able to uh, find both my biological parents before they died, uh, that I found out that I have wonderful, great half-brothers and half-sisters um, out there. And for me, it was, uh, you know, Stronzo's Odyssey. Stronzo's Odyssey. So that's my adoption story. That's my finding my biological parents story. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, tune in for episode eight. I'm pretty sure that I'm going to be, uh, it's going to be my first interview with, uh, with Todd from, uh, uh Calabra Island uh, Realty. And the name of the episode, uh, so far is, so you want to move to an island in the Caribbean. And we're going to talk about, uh, how you could actually do that if you wanted to, how, uh, Todd facilitates that, how that happened for me, some of the ins and outs of it, um, what to think about, uh, and on and on. So if you ever thought about moving to an island in the Caribbean, uh, episode eight is your episode to listen. Again, I ran a little bit long today, but uh, I just wanted to jam it all in there. Again, my name's Stronzo. This has been the Island Lifer podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Wherever you're at today, go out and enjoy yourself. Cheers. <laughs>